0: feel a little bit like it's sabotage to be the preacher after the retreats. People are probably wore out. And I thought, man, how could I get Pastor Damron back for this? Everybody's going to be snoozing tonight. Man, how can I get him back? And I thought, well, next time I hear about a good gang war in Chicago, say, Pastor Damron, you to come preach. <laughs> come right up Cottage Grove. <laughs> it's a blessing to be here. Tonight, Fairhaven Baptist Church has a very, very, very special place in my heart. And uh, for nine years, Fairhaven was our, our mother church, if I can use that term, our sending church. And by God's grace, this Sunday we will celebrate 11 years, our 11th anniversary. And there's a lot of peripheral things uh, that I could talk about. But at the end of the day, people are still getting saved, and people are still getting strengthened, and lives are being changed. And um, we believe that we'll start next year with 15 students here in the academy, and our good people have rejected the public school, the failed public school. God is just so good, and uh, it's good to be here tonight, and uh, I want to be a blessing, and tonight... I'm going to preach on the institution of marriage. So take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians, chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. There are many reasons that people come to church. Um, some motives are better than others. One of those reasons, though, is to get help when you're hurting. I mean, some of us are just going to be there because it's church. We know that it's right. It's been instilled in us. But some, when they are especially hurting, will turn to God's church. When they have a rocky time in their greatest interpersonal relationship, like marriage. When they feel like they're at the end of their rope. And I mean, they're hanging on, but barely. And there's a knot tied at the end of that rope and they're hanging on, but they don't know how much longer they're going to be able to keep their grip as they're holding that rope. Listen to me. There are people all around you tonight who may not admit that, but that's exactly where they're at. And so there are people sitting around you right now that probably spoke things to their spouse today that are disgraceful, shameful. Perhaps your spouse even isn't even here tonight. And it's because of that friction. It's because of that resistance. In 2019, when people have problems with their marriage, they seek therapy before they seek the Lord. Tonight, we're going to seek the Lord. And the burden on my heart, I know the burden on your pastor's heart, is the families in this church. And so we're not going to go to the therapist tonight. We're going to go to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to this service tonight. And Lord, I pray that we would come to your table. And I pray that we would leave full. Pray that you do a work in all of our hearts. None of us have arrived. Lord, we need your help. We need your strength. Break down the barriers of pride that might keep us from making a decision that will impact the state of our homes. Lord, I pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help me to say what you've laid on my heart. And I pray that you would guide and direct and be with every listener. Work tonight, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God's three institutions, most of you know them. The first is the home. Then there's the church. Then there's the government. And God delegates authority down from his throne to people in those institutions. Imperfect people. I pastor a local New Testament church. And I have delegated authority from the crucified one to stand in my pulpit and preach, thus saith the Lord. And I love the church. I love the church. I believe it's the only hope we have for winning a lot of people to the Lord Jesus Christ before the second coming. The hope in doing that. You know, I'm not... So much caught up in saying we're going to have a nationwide revival. I'd love to see it. And I certainly pray for revival in my life and in our church. But the hope for winning souls before the trumpet sounds is starting and building great, vibrant, soul winning, New Testament separated churches. Christians are the salt and the light of the world. And we need more light and we need more salt. And the more people we win to the Lord, the more light and the more salt they'll be. And so the Christian, and we need a lot more of them, sets the moral tempo in the world. The moral values are set by the Christian that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so part of the reason our society has lost its morality is because preachers haven't been what they should be. I believe that with all my heart. I have an uncle that pastors a charismatic church. I sat in his living room this past summer and he told me that he's for abortion. Now he didn't say it in those words but he said it nonetheless. That's the problem in America. Right there. I heard on the radio yesterday about a Chicago pastor who said, morally, I have no problem with the casino coming to Chicago. My only concern is that the proceeds come to my neighborhood. That's the problem. And so the blameworthiness can be laid right at the feet of the preachers. And I'll stand in line and take my share of the blame. I'm a strong believer in the local church, but I also believe that the home is God's greatest institution. You say why? A couple reasons. It's it's His oldest institution. The first family is not Donald Melania and Barron. The first family is Adam and Eve. Okay, and so we ought to get real excited about the home. We ought to get real excited. Man, if your family devotions are boring, I feel sorry for you. You ought to get excited about the home. It's his oldest institution. It's also a foundational institution. If the home goes, the church is going to go. If the home goes, the government is going to go. Every drunkard was raised in somebody's home. Every thief. Every prostitute, every gang banger, every rebellious son who walks the streets of America today was raised in somebody's home. We have a man in our church, Coach Murray, who works for the Chicago Public School system. He's been there for for many years. And as we were at work party, this past Sunday, in between our morning and evening service, I asked him a question. And he told me that, in his estimation, he rubbed shoulders with the public school students every single day. He said, in his estimation, if he were to estimate, 87% of the girls in the Chicago public school system are sexually active. 87%. I asked him, I said, well, how, what percentage of that 87%, what percentage would you say uh, the parents know about it? He said, well, I'd say at least 60%. He said, some of them actually let it go on in their house and they use this rationale. At least I know where they're at and what they're doing. God's given us these children to try to do something with. Boy, as parents, we need God's help. A horse keeps their young, I'm told, six months to a year. And then they have to be taken away from them. He gives us closer to 20 years. That is no accident. I cannot overstress tonight the importance of the home. But I am burdened that the media and that Hollywood and fashion and the music industry have been successful in many cases in overthrowing the home. With not enough pushback from God's preachers. There was a man visiting Washington, D.C. And he pointed to a family. They were pushing Baby stroller and he said to his friends. There's the heart of America, not these monuments. There's the heart of America. The church becomes putrefied from the inside out. Without strong homes. And so in fighting for the home, we are fighting for the church. And it doesn't matter how spiritual we act on Sunday, if our homes are not the right type of homes, we cannot have the right type of church. So, man, we can assemble together in our, our suits and ties and, and you ladies in your modest dresses and we can smile and shake hands. But if we're going back to a crummy home, how do you think that's not going to affect the church? I read this, as long as there are homes to which men turn at the close of the day, as long as there are homes where children are and women stay, if love and loyalty and faith be found in its seals, a stricken nation can recover from its greatest ills. As long as there are homes where fires burn and there is bread, as long as there are homes where lamps are lit and prayers are said, Although people falter in the dark and nation's grope, with God aback of us, there is still hope. There's hope for your home. The home is either the savior of civilization or the destroyer of civilization. So there's a lot of power in your home to do good or evil. Now the first wedding was solemnized by God. And so we must believe that marriage is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's not something that man dreamed up. It's something that God established. Then why do you regret it? Then why do you let your eyes gaze at another If there are times in your life where you think about being married to someone else and thinking of how it might be easier if you were married to them instead of your spouse, you need revival. The Bible says, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Everybody loves the wedding cake. People get excited about the Kool-Aid. But when the wedding cake's gone... And when the Kool-Aid is done being passed out, you've got a monumental task on your hand, and without God, you will nosedive. If a couple wants to have a serious, godly, solid Christian home, I want to do the ceremony. I do. But if they don't want to do the the, the if they don't want a serious, godly Christian home, I want nothing to do with that ceremony. There was a a man and and woman a a couple years ago, a young man, a young woman. I was excited about it. They came to the church and they wanted to get married. Boy, they started coming to the services and and, and they said, we're ready to get some counseling. We're, We're ready to set a date. I'm trying to slow them down. I said, we need to talk. We need to counsel. At least one of you needs to be a member of our church and you're not. Oh, we want to get married. I said, well, just slow down. No, we want to get married. So they left our church because I wouldn't marry them right away. Three months later, they were filing for divorce. I don't want to sanction that marriage if they don't intend to have a solid Christian home. We need to dig into the Bible, save and salvage our homes. There are married couples today who don't even know what the Bible has to say about marriage. And I am not going to give you my opinion tonight. I'm going to give you the word of God. The book of Ephesians is divided into two parts, and it's very important that you understand that. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with orthodoxy or believing right. Chapters 4 through 6 deal with orthopraxy or right behavior. And so the first part of the book is believing right. And then the second part of the book is living right. And you need both because if you focus on one or the other, you'll go down an extreme. And so chapters 1 through 3 record our creed in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 our conduct in Christ. Now, chapter 4, verse 1, is the dividing line. Look there with me. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore. That word therefore is the dividing line. I therefore. When we read a therefore in our Bibles, we should want to know what it's there for. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Again, the word therefore is the key. Because there is a ditch on both sides of the wedding aisle. Ditch number one. I'm doing my duty. I'm doing chapters 5 and 6. And chapter 4 too. I'm doing my duty, but I'm disregarding the heart of the matter. Which is chapters 1 through 3. And fundamentalists are real good about landing in this ditch. We're real good about landing in the ditch of Ephesians 5. Like little robots. Uh obey my husband. Uh, 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 love my wife. That's what the Bible says. And if I do that, I'll have a great marriage. There's some truth to that. But you can't leave chapters 1 through 3. If you want to stay out of that ditch. And so chapters 1 through 3. Or disregard it because I'm doing my duty. Here's the other ditch. It was in my heart to try to be a good spouse. I had the right motive. And now I don't care. I've given up. I've tried. He's impossible. She's impossible. I'm done. You can say that if you want. But then you're ignoring chapters 4 through 6. And so... Chapters one through three deal with the heart chapters four through six deal with duty If you want the type of marriage that God wants you to have you've got to take the whole pie You've got to put all of those six chapters together and then you'll have the right type of marriage And so we have to put them together look at chapter four verse number two the bible says with all lowliness And meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. My main points tonight are going to flow from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And so let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse number 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. I want to show you tonight how significant marriage is. And with that thought in mind, I want to preach tonight on the institution of marriage. Number one, marriage is a divine institution. It is a divine institution. Look at verse number 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as... Even as, in the same way, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. And so the marriage is God's design just as much as the church is. Somebody designed the house that you live in. And there are times when if you're like me, you would like to put your hands around the neck of the person that designed your house. Um, Whoever designed our house did a great job rehabbing it. It was built in the 1920s and they tore everything out and put everything brand new in except the sump pump in Chicago where our sewers back up all the time. And if I could get my hands around the neck of the person that did not put a sump pump in that basement, I would do it. And so we had to put one in, had to dig a hole in the basement floor, go through the concrete floor of the basement and dig a big hole and put a sump pump in there. Uh, you can alter your house. But you dare not alter God's design. God's design for marriage it's not something that we can toy with. It's being toyed with today. It's being twisted and construed. Don't alter God's design. Don't ever call it a civil union. It's a marriage. Not just a civil contract between two people. The Bible says in Matthew nineteen six, What therefore God hath joined together. What God hath joined together. God joins you and we need to remember that that God is present at every wedding ceremony that he is the unobserved witness at the wedding altar and if you have the idea that you can just marry someone and when times get tough and when things get rough and if it doesn't work out and you can just opt out, you better get it through your head that you're messing with God's handiwork. You're messing and you're toying with something that He established. It is His masterpiece. It is His design. He calls the shots when it comes to marriage. And so you better be dead sure that He's the one before you say, I do. If he can't lead himself, he can't lead you. You better watch him. But now because of sin, social media, the television, the cell phone, the movies. People in Christian homes. People are coming up in homes in, in solid churches. And the kids leave believing that it's okay to shag up. Where did they get that from? They didn't learn that in family devotions. But they learned it in something else that you allowed to slip into your home. Whereas you would never think of that type of immorality, our children see it as a way out. No young person in a fundamental church should leave the ghost shack up. What view of intimacy are we passing to our children? Don't think that just because you're married and did it right that your children aren't going to grow up and break your heart. If you don't teach them what that home's supposed to look like. We cannot leave our reverence for this divine institution. Secondly, marriage is a supreme institution. It's a supreme institution. The marriage relationship takes precedence over all other human relationships. Go to verse number 31. The Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Of course, this is reinstating Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The parent-child relationship is wonderful. It is lovely. But when it comes to marriage, the marriage relationship has to be number one. And if you expect to have a Bible marriage, your wife, sir, must come first she must come before anything else before money before cars before your house she must come before anyone else your kids your friends your relatives god says she's number one and if you put anyone or anything in front of your spouse your home is an accident waiting to happen and you are wrong. And the reason you're wrong is because your marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And Jesus always put the church first. And that is the example you are to set in your home. Your husband must be the primary human being in your home. Before cousin, before nephew, before uncle, before mom, dad, anybody. And if you're not willing to do that, you never should have got married in the first place. You should have stayed single. Don't let your in-laws put their nose in your business. Don't let them do it. Man, if, if they have to live near you. Great, but I believe with all my heart, that's why God made rivers, valleys, lakes, and mountains to separate couples from in-laws. It's good. A husband and wife are to be first, and I promise you, you will swim in a lake of misery if you're putting other people before your spouse. It's not going to be well with your home. Until you're willing to make your spouse number one. One guy got married. And this fool insisted that uh, her mom come along for the honeymoon. So m- mom rode in the back seat. They were out at a wild game park and a lion got loose. And the lion was following hard behind them. And the lion came up and attacked the mother-in-law. And the wife said, honey, do something quick. Do something quick. And the husband said, hey, that lion got himself in that mess and he's going to have to get himself out. (laughs) Lakes, valleys, rivers, and mountains, don't ever forget that. A man was called to preach, and he was preparing to go off to Bible college. God had called him to preach. He was married. He had a little boy that got sick and died, broke their hearts. A day or two before leaving for Bible college, the wife's mom died. Everything was packed inside of their car. They were going off to Bible college to follow God's will. They had the funeral and the burial with the car packed, ready to go off to Bible college. They went to tell her father goodbye. She stood on the porch and kissed her daddy goodbye. And the father said to his only daughter, you're not going to leave me, are you? You're all I got. Your mother would would, would never have wanted you to, to leave me. You can't leave. The wife left the porch and she got inside of the car with her husband. The father was still yelling from the porch. The young preacher looked at his wife. He should not have done this. He looked at his wife and he said, you stay here with your father. He needs you. I'll come back for you after I graduate. I'll visit you as often as I can when I have breaks. Stay with your father. That young wife turned and looked to her husband with tears in her eyes and said, You're my husband. I love you. Drive on. Now, they left the father crying. I've never been in that situation With my wife, but if I were put in that situation, my choice should be the same as that young wife. You're my wife. I love you. Drive on. Don't let anybody drive a wedge between you and your spouse. If you don't feel that way, you're not happily married and you never will be. If you're leaving cracks open for so-and-so to come in and sow seeds of discord between you and your spouse, you will never be happy. I'm your husband. You're my wife. Drive on. If that's not the way it is in your marriage, I hope you'll make a vow to God that that's the way it's going to be, whether you feel that way or not. I'm so sick of this neo-therapeutic world we live in. Well, how do you feel? And so you come in, you sit down with a counselor, and, and, and he, he did this, and, 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 and then he wouldn't do that, and, and then he, he, he actually said this, and then the counselor sits there and goes, okay, now how did that make you feel? And then you look at the other spouse and boy, and she said this and she did this and she didn't tell you this. And then the counselor says, how does that make you feel? Well, the last time I checked my Bible, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or what that Neo book that you got from the bookstore, not Fairhaven's bookstore, but that other bookstore, what that Neo is trying to get you to say is, is how can your sinful heart be accommodated? And turn to the husband and say, now, how can your sinful heart be accommodated? You've been listening to that great theologian too much, Ellen DeGeneres. Don't go by your feelings. Go by God's word. And by the way, if you do it with the right heart attitude, in other words, if you will take some time and study Ephesians one through three and lay a foundation for how your your wicked and vile heart is supposed to be. And you then step into chapter four through six and say, well, I'm going to do it. The feelings will come. The feelings will come, but we gotta get out of just zeroing in on chapters four through six. I'm doing my duty. I'm doing my duty. It shouldn't be in pride. You sit with the pastor. I did what I was supposed to do. Does that smack of pride? Hmm? And not fear, but love. Love. And somewhere down in our wicked, vile, sinful hearts, we've got to look at that lady and say, she left her parents' side. She let, She's given me her life. She's given me her youth. And even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to love her. That's Bible. You see, we all have a natural propensity towards self-righteousness. Every one of us, I've I've counseled with enough couples to know how it's going to go. She's going to sit there and say everything he did, and he's going to sit there and say everything that she did. That's how it goes. Almost 100 percent of the time. Because we're geared like that. We have a propensity to self-righteousness. That's why chapter five, verse one, look there with me. Chapter five, verse one says, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. You say, how should I treat my spouse? What did Christ treat more important than the church? Nothing. Nothing. What did Christ put before, outside of the fact of his honor for the Father? What did he put before the church? Nothing. And so take that pattern and and remember that you must have your spouse supreme. It's biblical. Third, marriage is a united institution. It is a united institution look at verse number 31 Ephesians 5 31 for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Now that sounds beautiful on the wedding day man the unity candle is lit everything's so happy it sounds beautiful but God didn't put it in the Bible because it sounds beautiful poetic and all of that it does. He put it in the Bible because it's true. You become one flesh. It's not a just a figure of speech. One flesh. Mark 10, 8 says, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. Stop the bickering. Man, you can have conversations. And you can be a passionate person and maybe your spouse is. But we've got... To have Christian homes for the sake of our churches where we stop the pickering. Well, I just speak my mind. That's the problem. That's the problem. We are to speak the mind of Christ. You have forgotten and, and, and I forget at times that our minds are wicked and vile and you don't dare speak your mind. It's polluted. It's wicked and it's presumptuous. You shouldn't think that much about your mind. The mind of Christ. So we're to be one. One in mutual self-giving. One in mutual self-giving. I gave myself to my wife. She gave herself to me. And I have no interest in others. Mutual self-giving. And a wife has every right in the world to be jealous. If she has a husband that shows any interest, any flirtations with somebody else, each in love with each other, each other. Now, this will help our homes. Not a wife in love with her husband and a husband in love with the husband. Okay, not the husband in love with the wife and the wife in love with the wife. We got to get it right each other one in mutual self-giving number two one in mutual self-interest Have we forgotten the vows? With all my worldly goods, I thee endow What we have is neither his nor hers. It's theirs And your home will be messed up if you say well, that's mine And that's yours I have my stuff, you have your stuff, you cannot be happy that way. Wife, you cannot be happy as long as a certain thing is yours and not your husband's. Man, you took his name. You took his name. Partnership. We have a house. And depending on your situation, income-wise, she may not be on the loan, but I think you're wrong if she's not on the deed. Peter on your house together. We have furniture. We have cars. We have a house. She doesn't have anything and I don't have anything. We have it all together. One in mutual interest. One in spiritual interest. Many times Christianity can make for a turbulent marriage. And Jesus said that this would happen. Because the one would want Christ and the other wouldn't. Perhaps the wife loves the Lord, she loves her Bible, but the husband doesn't. Maybe the husband wants to go to church and the wife doesn't. The wife wants to give her tithes and be there for soul winning and the husband wants to sleep. It'll never work that way. If you're here and you're a husband who is backslidden and you you don't really want to follow God, You're just going to hurt your home and eventually you'll probably have a split up home. Your interests aren't the same. It's not right until you both want to tithe. It's not right until you both want to go soul winning. It's not right until you both want to serve God and be at the prayer meeting. Let me show you something else. Go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 15 The Bible says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I have to understand as a husband that my wife is not just part of me because we're one flesh. She's also a part of the body of Christ. So when I despise my wife, when I am not building up my wife, what I am saying is, Jesus, I despise this part of your body. I love you. You gave your life for me, but I hate your toe. I hate another member of your body. That then makes it a matter of your worship. Your problem then isn't with your spouse. It's with Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. Why? Why? Because of who God says that he is. And so the issue is really an issue of our heart, our worship. If I've got a problem loving my wife, I've got a problem with Christ. Of which she is a member of his body. If she has a problem obeying me, she's got a problem with Christ. I'm a member of his body. So God... He might meet your standard for headship in our home, but he doesn't meet mine. So I'm not going to follow him. I'm pulling rank. God, I'm going to despise you by despising him. God, I'm going to reject you by rejecting him. If that you, you are in sin. It is blasphemy. It is idolatry when you treat your spouse that way. Because in truth, you're treating Christ that way. One flesh, but both are a part of the body of Christ. And then last, marriage is a permanent institution. Permanent institution. Okay? You know, if my wife leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> Stuck. The Bible teaches that marriage is for life. Life. Look at verse number 23, verse 23, "For the husband is the head of the wife. You say, where do you see permanence there? Well, a head is pretty much supposed to be permanent. <laughs> I think. Uh, if you came into this world with a detachable head, Get away from me. (laughs) Marriage illustrates Christ and the church. How can the head, Christ, be torn away from this church? Hmm? How can the body, the church, be torn away from the head? You've got to get away from that idea that you can chuck marriage. You've got to get away from that. When we marry, we say we're only separated by death. So what? We need to change the wedding vows? That's what you said until death do us part. Let not man put asunder one flesh. How do you separate a man from his heart? It's a permanent institution. Divorced people are not second class Christians. Divorced and remarried people are not second class Christians. But don't you dare quit. Don't you dare get divorced. Don't you dare give up on your marriage. Your pastor is fighting for your marriage. Don't you dare give up. You say it's hard. For better or for worse. You say, but he did this. Well, that's for worse. You said it. We're always going to encourage you to stay married. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's a verse that's gotten me into a lot of trouble in Chicago. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 11. The Bible says, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. You better understand that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church whom he would never think of divorcing. Wouldn't be an option. If the exception clause is for adultery, then why isn't the word adultery used? I don't believe that was consummated marriage in Matthew. But good men disagree. But I'm saying don't vacate your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Love your mate. Don't get mad at your preacher when he preaches strong messages on the family. He doesn't write the mail, he just delivers it. And you ought to thank God for a pastor that cares about your home. Tell your wife tonight that she's going to be number one. Husbands need to hear it too, wives. Hmm? Kiss her tonight. If she wants you to shave first, shave. Shave. If she likes kissing a Brillo pad, go for it. But brush your teeth. Wash your mouth out with scope. And not just a little peck either. Make some fireworks. Are you supposed to listen to the preacher? Fireworks! Think you're too old for that? You're dead. Pastor Dameron can do your funeral. You're not too old for that. These four things came from the Bible. It's what God says about marriage. I have to say this. If you're close to giving up, it's not because of him sitting next to you. It's the problem that you have with him who sitteth in eternity. We've seen that very clearly from the Bible tonight. You'll never be focused on the one sitting next to you until you worship the one that is above you. And if you get that right, you'll be able to get this right. You see. (laughs) We all have to be reminded that our spouse didn't come to the wedding altar with a certificate of perfection. Here's my certificate. I'm perfect. Nope. And you didn't either. Love one another. And let's strengthen our churches. By strengthening our marriages. Let's bow for prayer.